0: you. Hello, my name is Laura Jekyll and it's a pleasure to be hosting this conversation with Holly Wainwright as part of the Newcastle Writers Festival's Stories to You series in 2021. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work, the Awabakal and Warramai peoples, and I pay my respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Aboriginal people who are listening to this conversation. I'd also like to thank you for your ongoing support of the Newcastle Writers Festival. My guest today is Holly Wainwright, a writer, editor and broadcaster who lives in Sydney with her young family. She's the head of content at women's media company, Mamma Mia, and I Give My Marriage a Year is her third novel. Hello, Holly. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for asking me. I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) So your latest
0: book, I Give My Marriage a Year, is wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) I was really hooked from chapter one, which has this clever little unexpected twist in the last line. And I actually heard you say you came up with the title and the broader concept before the storyline and characters. And I was wondering, is that true? And is this a usual approach for writers?
1: So... It is true in this instance um, Mm -hmm. for me. I came up with the title and the sort of broad idea of a woman in particular who was trying to make a decision about her marriage and setting a time period. And it is true that uh, that came to me before the story. But, no, I don't think it is usual. In fact, I'm working on another book now and, and that's very much the other way. Like I've got the story but I don't really know what it's called or what the theme is, which is a kind of a strange thing to say. But yes, in this instance it was, and I think it was very much inspired by a lot of the women I know and talk to both in my job at Mamma Mia and in my real life um, who are struggling with those kind of decisions in their lives, particularly at sort of midlife, if you want to call it that, and thinking, well, how do I make this call?
0: Mm, it's such a good title I mean even the title alone you know just calls you
1: (laughs) well Um, people keep saying to me that their partners get very worried when they see them reading it yes and so they have to keep saying it's not it's fiction it's fiction it's not a self-help book and I was I was a bit worried about that when I was I was thinking well people know that it's fiction but it is fiction <laughs>
0: um, so as you know you've just sort of explained and as the title suggests it's a book about a couple Lou and Josh who have two daughters and after a difficult period in their marriage Lou decides to give their marriage a year um, so there's no spoilers but did you always know how the story would end
1: <laughs> no <laughs> so <laughs> To be honest, I didn't. And um, when my publisher, when I was talking to my publisher, because I I went to a new publisher for Mm. this book. And when I was talking to her about my idea, she said, do you know what happens in the end? And I said, yes, with this very like I said, I'm not going to tell you, though, which is what I always say to people. I'm not going to tell you how it ends because I don't you know, I want you to experience it as the readers experiencing it but actually the truth was I didn't really know because I kept flip-flopping and obviously no spoilers but I kept flip-flopping I was really clear that I didn't want this book to feel like if they stayed together it was a triumph and if they didn't stay together it was a failure like mm. I wanted to explore that idea that you know not all relationships are failures if they don't last and also I didn't want readers to feel sort of in any way judged by whatever mm. happens but As I was writing the book, it began to become clear to me what the ending should be. And I think I decided halfway through probably.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. (laughs) Because I was going to ask if you had that sort of, you know, choose your own adventure range of endings that you played with and, you know, experimented with how you felt about them.
1: I did. I Mm. did. I absolutely did. And as Mm. I say, I wanted to make sure that whichever way it ended, Mm. it was fine, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think that uh, I tried a few different things and then when I realised where I wanted it to go, I obviously had to go back and make sure I was correcting that throughout the plot because with a book that unfolds to a particular conclusion and that's kind of the point of the book, whether Mm. that's a mystery or whether that's in this case a sort of domestic drama for want of a better phrase for it. You don't want the reader to be so surprised at the end that it doesn't make sense. Mm. You want like this mm. is what I learned, and my publisher really helped me get to this too. Is that um, you want them to be surprised, but not like what you know that's yeah that's not doesn't make any sense. So mm. I had to sort of make sure that there are enough seeds being sown throughout the book that whatever however it ended, it was going to make sense you know so Mm. I learned a lot about that kind of more suspenseful writing which isn't really how my other books were No, quite different.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, But so I I have heard you say in another interview that you've done that you ended up cutting out some dramatic detail to focus on that core relationship. And I was wondering if you could kind of reveal anything about what was cut um, and Ah. why.
1: Well, I will actually. I can because I know this is a podcast for people who are interested in writing. Mm. And I feel like this is my third book and my third novel. But I don't feel in any way like it's a craft that I've mastered. I'm sure I never, ever will. I hope I get to write many, many more books and I still won't know what I'm doing. But anyway, um, what I, the experience, the big lesson from this book for me is that I kept worrying as I was writing it that this plot, because it's very much a book about two people in their relationship. And obviously there are other people who are involved in that story, Mm. but I kept worrying that it wasn't enough you know because mm. it's quite a long book too it well, as I was writing it I realized that it had to be quite um, involved and I was loving writing it but I I kept worrying that these two central characters weren't enough to hold the reader so I was throwing in like extra plot lines so one of the yeah. plot lines I threw in was there's a central theme of, of a tree through the book mm. is yeah, that outside um, the
0: window yeah. yeah, it's
1: the tree that grows outside their house and Lou loves it and Josh thinks it should be cut back and you know that there, there's a a bit of a battle going on about that um and in the i had it so that somebody that the tree got poisoned
0: oh no <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then that became like a who's poisoning the tree oh. and then i had another plot line that um another character i won't go into too mm. much because it will be a spoiler but another mm. character in the book had quite a convoluted plot line of their own and turned out to be a quite a different person than you oh, thought they were oh. going to be okay anyway when i handed in the first draft of the manuscript my publisher Kate uh, Patterson who's a, a wonderful publisher she said you need to get re- strip out those extra extra storylines and i said but i'm worried that just following these two people and their relationship isn't enough mm. and she basically said to me that have the confidence that it is enough because in her view it was it was definitely enough to hold it and she said you've got to write with that kind of confidence to be able to hold their attention and believe that it will and get rid of the nonsense that's distracting. And that I think is actually a really good mm. writerly lesson: is that yeah. sometimes your insecurities or your kind of, uh, you know, your desire to make it super interesting and every page has something result, you know, to to reveal and all those things can actually sometimes like muddy the waters and steer you away mm. from what matters. So she was right. Like the it was more important to focus on the central theme. So in the second draft, I stripped that stuff out yeah. um, and I think the book's probably better for it.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it's, I, I love the stuff about the relationship because it's, yeah, it's so relatable. And that's actually my next question because um, Lou and Josh and in their in their marital struggles, uh, they are very relatable and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but how much of their story and character traits come from people that you actually know? <laughs>
1: Well, hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's some universal truths about long-term relationships. Mm. I wanted to write about that middle part of a relationship. You know, the beginning's very exciting, and obviously, mm. the way the book unfolds is it's told from two perspectives: Lou's and Josh's, and it starts uh, in the, uh, with, with Lou making this decision, but then you do follow them back to when they met, and I wanted to explore that. Uh, evolution of who you are as people. They've been together for fourteen years, and um, anyway, I wanted to explore that middle part. And I mean, I talk to women about all kinds of things all day, every day. Right? I work at Mama Mia; it's a women's media company. Uh, host podcasts. We talk about everything. I read everything. I like. I read our yeah. re- our readers' submissions and all of that kind of thing, as well as obviously my friends and family. So i know there are a lot of universal truths in relationships and i wanted to tap into some of those Mm. but i don't think there are any incidences in the book that are specifically stolen Mm. from someone else's life there are a couple (laughs) of little vignettes that you know are familiar to many of us um Mm -hmm. frustrations with long-term relationships and living with people and raising children that i think we could all recognize but i tried not to lift too directly because I mean, this is a struggle for anyone who writes fiction that's kind of um, relatable, is you don't want to upset people oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you also don't want to reveal too much, I guess, about your own
0: world. Of course. But, yeah. yeah.
1: So there, it's definitely taken from stories that I know, but but given a fictional twist.
0: Mm. And what do you, I mean, you just sort of mentioned it there, but what were some of the main learnings or have been some of the main learnings over the course of your career as a journalist and now a writer about long-term relationships what are some of those universal truths do you think that you kind of look I think
1: I I believe and I think that everybody's different you know I think that we're very keen to draw absolute truths about relationships and some of us need different things from them some of us Mm. are quite independent um I know for me I'm quite an independent person and so my partner Brent uh we you know, we give each other space in lots of ways, have our interests and friendships and passions that aren't necessarily all linked together. But I know other couples who like to share everything and don't like to ever be away from each other and, you know, all of those things. So I think it depends. But I think that really, the thing you have to remember about a long term relationship is that you're in it for the long haul. So it is, you can have bad days and bad weeks, of course, but sometimes you can have bad years, you know, Mm -hmm. you can have, difficult times when children are little it's really really hard if you have kids um I know that's something you know a lot about obviously writing Mm -hmm. as you do about that space a lot and having family Mm -hmm. but um it's really difficult and I think that's one of the things I wanted to explore in this because I know a lot of people and I'm sure I've been there myself when you're questioning everything at the time and you have to go is this just the moment we're in Mm -hmm. or is this all terrible and it's not going to get better and Mm -hmm. I think that you have to Believe and invest that it will get better if that's what you want, and wake up every day thinking that you'll try. Yeah. I mean, some days I haven't got the energy to try, like who does? Some days you're just like, <laughs> we'll deal with that later, that's maybe
0: right. next year. <laughs> yeah, bring on the coffee. Mm. Yeah.
1: And I think very similar to um, other things like parenting, I always say lower your expectations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not very romantic, but if you really do expect the other person to be everything in your world, I think you're going to be disappointed right yes. none of us are that amazing
0: no truth absolutely so many readers I have seen commenting on your socials really love the character of Josh um, he's a very likable kind of good guy and I was just wondering how you got into the headspace of a man and who your inspirations were and did you like writing Josh
1: I actually loved writing Josh like I really did yep. and um, a lot of people have said that damn team Josh people say it yep. like they're picking teams And I say, like, I'm not team Josh or team Lou, I'm team whatever, team relationship, team family. Um, But I, what was really important to me, and it's a little bit unfashionable actually, was to write him as a good man, like not Mm. a perfect man, not somebody who was without flaws, but um, a good, decent man who did love his family and did love his wife. It wasn't, I didn't want to write the story that we've heard many times, and I know there's a lot of truth to it, don't mm. get me wrong, where the woman is kind of an um, angelic martyr and the man is a useless slob or a deceitful yeah. pig or, mm. you know, whatever,
0: mm.
1: and that the main problem in their relationship was that mismatch. I I didn't want that to be the case because I do, although I obviously live in a world and report all the time on terrible things that, that men can do to women, I also very much believe that there are a lot of good men and I live with one mm. and I I know many of them and hopefully I, my son is one, I hope. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> anyway, um, so I really wanted Josh to be good but also mm. to be kind of frustrating and a bit lazy yeah. and all the things that drive us crazy about people mm. that we love. So that was important to me um, that it wasn't the cliche and – I loved writing him because I have this belief, and again, it's not deeply fashionable, although maybe it's becoming more so, that we're really not that different, men and women. I don't really believe that um, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I just don't. I think that ultimately we want a lot of the same things, and if you're compatible with somebody because you do want a lot of the same things, then the gender is not really that important. So I loved writing him. Uh, I did find him likable and I wanted him to be attractive and all that stuff. (laughs) But I um, I didn't, it wasn't that I wanted him to be entirely sympathetic. Mm. I think it's really interesting because in the book it's Lou and it's not really a spoiler because it's kind of revealed very early on, but it's Lou who's done some of the worst things in this relationship Mm. and rather than him. And Josh has forgiven some of those things, or at least he thinks he has, maybe Mm. he hasn't, but he thinks he has. And, I think that's true too. You know, women aren't heroes all the time. You know, we we get yeah. things wrong as well. And I, but I wanted Lou to be complicated and interesting. And sometimes you liked her, and sometimes you didn't. And, and because I think that's what people are like, right? That's what women are like. So
0: absolutely, wanted
1: you to have complicated feelings about them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, that was very much achieved because um I very much related to Lou's um, internal struggles of being a mum, but also wanting to still be a woman and feel like herself. Um, and I love this bit that you wrote about Lou's kind of experience um that was overwhelming with early motherhood and how it affected her relationship with Josh. Um I'm going to read a tiny little quote, if that's okay, from page 179 and this is from uh, Lou's perspective. Conversations revolved around poo and food and sleep. Even more alarmingly, these were now topics that Lou had opinions on. She actually spent time thinking about them quite a lot of time, but maybe the change that surprised her the most was the one between her and Josh because it felt as if from the moment they walked in the door with newborn Stella, their roles began to shift. I love that because that really spoke to me personally but I wondered if it was reminiscent of your feelings as a new mum too.
1: Very much and Mm. I know so many women who say this who Mm. say that their relationships were very equal before they had children you know they're both working they're both busy they shared the household chores they shared the washing up you know whatever it was and that when children come into it there's a sort of the ground just shifts underneath you. And especially if you're as most families, actually not my family necessarily, but as most families are where the woman takes the role of the primary carer, sort of by default, you apparently also become the the washer and the cooker and the cleaner and the and the power the well, it's not a power imbalance, it's a role imbalance just swings. And I think mm-hmm. that for a lot of women, that's such a shock, and it's a confusing shock because. Lou does want to be a mom, you know, in inverted commas. She She is interested in poo and sleep and all those things, as we discussed. Yeah. But you're also a bit like, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. wh- how did that happen? And I think it's also just as discombobulating for men, because especially in those very early days, they often feel like they don't know what to do and they're a bit excluded But for a lot of men, they really want to, they really want to know and they Mm. want to be, like, so I think it's a very, very confusing time in our lives. And Mm. I often think that if you can get through that part, if you can make your, you know, make your roles work around that part, then you're doing pretty well because I think it's very confusing.
0: Mm. It's such a difficult time, yeah. Um, So I'm guessing, you know, with two kids and a full-time job that you didn't, disappeared a little cottage for six months to kind of drink tea and write the book um how I did wish. you do it <laughs> what was your writing process
1: uh so I very much um write I mean you will have heard other writers saying this but I you can't wait for the muse to turn up when you have and many other things to do, as we all do. Mm. You have to be disciplined. And it's funny because I'm trying to get back into my writing discipline at the moment, and I've lost my mojo a bit. And that is really that, you know, like anything that you want to prioritise, but you have a lot of other priorities, you just have to bloody do it. Mm -hmm. You just have to set aside time. So in an ordinary work week, I I would write at night, so after the kids go to bed. Yep um I'd write on the weekends so I'd often spend the morning with the kids and then do a few hours in the afternoon um I you know you just fit it in around everything you're doing and the thing is is obviously that does unquestionably come at a detriment to family time me me time whatever Mm. that is um Brent ends up picking up a lot of the pieces and then what I have done with all the books is as I've got very close to the deadline I've taken some leave from work and Mm. just just spent a few weeks writing all day and it's
0: Mm.
1: it's a funny discipline because I don't think you're really designed to write all day Mm. I think I think like a couple of hours are probably the extent of it but I have learned how to do that and just treat that like a job and get it done Mm. I did though when I was doing the edits on the first manuscript I did actually take myself away to an Airbnb cottage for two nights oh
0: beautiful
1: it was beautiful, but it was also really spooky. It was this like little cottage in the Blue Mountains and I didn't know on Airbnb, you couldn't tell how creepy it was. And oh, I was no. It was awful and I didn't <laughs> hardly sleep and I felt really awkward all the time. And I was like, I've just got to finish this book and go home. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, but I'm used goodness. to
1: writing with a lot of chaos around me and mm. the kids coming in and the dog coming in. And, you know, like I, I can't really imagine doing it another way, but I, I like to dream that one day I'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. And what's the post-it notes thing? I've heard you talk yes. about those. So you'll mm. see a few
1: on my wall behind yes. me. although I don't they're look coming too back. closely at my mm. scruffy room, but um, I'm hiding in the bedroom as we speak. <laughs> um, they are coming back. So I, what I tend to do when I'm plotting is I have a, a white wall in the room and I put my post-it notes up there. So that I find that I can do the different chapters the different sections of the book and the different chapters summarize them on a post-it note just with a couple of words and stick them up on the wall and the good thing about that of course is you can take them down as you change mm. your mind you can move them around and they grow and they end up covering an entire wall and poor old brent has to live with that for a year <laughs> or whatever but um i'm about to start doing it with my next book and i'm yeah. like oh post-it notes are back uh, I find it very it works for me to be even though I again dream of having a proper writerly room one day I lie in bed and look at them and I it helps me turn the plot around mm-hmm. and go oh, no actually that doesn't work and why is that there and maybe that should be there and it it ha- suits my visual yeah. frame I do write on Scrivener now which is a software that I bought for this book and that has a sort of layout that's a bit similar where you can move, but I still prefer my um my post
0: its Yeah, it sort of doubles as a rainbow feature wall, so it gives a bit of. Does, color.
1: I like I like the way they look, and actually, it's awesome procrastination, Laura, to be at the beginning of doing the book and like making sure you've got exactly the right post-it note colours from Office Works yep. that you've got all the sharpies that you need. Ooh, yes, that you've the got the stationary. blue tack to help stick them properly, and like it's kind of. <laughs> awesome procrastination to be doing that go oh I think that Josh's chapters will be green and Lou's chapters will be pink then like Holly you are wasting
0: time (laughs) I love it um you're listening to the Newcastle Writers Festival Stories to You podcast series my name's Laura Jekyll and I'm speaking with Holly Wainwright about her most recent novel I give my marriage a year so I've heard you talk a little bit about self-doubt. Um, how did it kind of manifest for you and how do you deal with it?
1: Look, I don't know any writers who don't have it, although mm. maybe I don't know any, like, really successful middle-aged white men writers. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they have it. I don't know. Maybe they don't have it. Um, I am sometimes paralyzed by self-doubt I'm frequently writing and thinking it's terrible and then Mm. but what I've learned is I just have to push on and then often I'm sure you have this experience yourself often you go back and read it and you go oh actually Mm. that's not bad and every now and again you go back and read it and you go oh I was right that's the worst thing I've ever read um you have to make friends with it to a point and mm. I think that one of the tricks, one of the things that's helped me is realizing that everybody has it. Mm. Because mm. I think that one of the things we do to ourselves, and I don't know if this is particularly female or not, is when you think I'm the only one who struggles with this. So you're like, I'm sure that, uh, I don't know, whoever, whatever amazing rider we want to pluck out of the sky. Trent Dalton. Um, Yes, exactly, Trent mm. Dalton. I'm sure he never doubts his talent, but I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure mm. he's racked with nerves. And I think that one of the things about writing anything that you know other people are going to read is it's an incredibly vulnerable mm. position to put yourself in, but then at the same time it's an enormous privilege to be able to do it. So you just kind of have to suck it up. You just have to suck up the, the scary bit because it has to exist to get the good bit which Mm -hmm. is you know you wrote this thing you're proud of it and now other people are going to read it Mm -hmm. and if and if you if you've got if you're lucky enough to get published then you know that's the price you pay is that yes some people aren't going to like it some people are going to you know say mean things about it you have to deal with it um so I've kind of learned to make friends with self-doubt by just reminding myself that I'm not the only one but it's certainly there and I think that writing sometimes a bit like running on the rare occasions when I run, which is mm. I rarely enjoy it when I'm doing it, mm. but I really enjoy it when it's finished. Like <laughs> and I really enjoy it when I'm kind of at the end of the bit that I'm meant to have done and I look back and you go, oh, I'm really glad I did that. Um, so I think that but every now and again as a writer, a lot of it's a slog when you've got such a big project on. But every now and again, you get this lovely little purple patch and it might only be 20 minutes where you you it's just coming, you know, and you're not fighting for every word and every sentence and every, t- like, it's just coming. And then that's a glorious state, but I can't say I've ever really managed to maintain it for more than 20 minutes at a time.
0: Oh, well, enjoy the moments when it does, I suppose. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> So you had your first book, The Mummy Bloggers, was published by Alan and Unwin in 2018. Mm -hmm. Did you always kind of want to write a fictional novel? Where did that, where, you know, how long have you been harboring that?
1: A very long time, Laura, a very long time. So I think it's the first thing I actually wanted to do when I was little was to be a writer because I've always loved books. I always loved to read. I wasn't ever very good at anything else, Um. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm good at some other things, but of I'm course. not, I I was never like good at maths. I was never good at, like I was always good mm-hmm. at English. You know, that's yeah. what I was good at. Um, so I always wanted to do it and then I didn't do it. And I took, I made a career in journalism, um, which I love and I've been very lucky. Uh, and I, you know, now my job involves management and it involves podcasting and it involves all kinds of things, you know, strategy. and But writing is the thing I loved the most Mm. and I was 40 um a little bit over 40 when I was like I'm am I really gonna write a book and Mm. I didn't have the confidence to do it I didn't feel like I knew how to do it and then the idea for the mummy bloggers came to me very clearly and I was like I just if I'm going to write a book this is the book to write I'm Mm going to write this book and so I took the plunge I was not young I was not um you know it wasn't my first rodeo I uh, <laughs> and I I'm delighted that I did because I hope that I'll be writing books forever and
0: yeah
1: uh what a gift to be able to do that but I um yeah so I I did always always want to do it but it took me a very long time
0: to actually do mm. it Well you're pretty busy um you know <laughs> <laughs> well yeah
1: but I think you also you know you doubt that you can and then you just keep pushing that idea away yeah. and then yeah. one day and, and you know until I worked at Mamma Mia and met some extraordinary women I didn't really know very many people who'd actually written books you know mm. like yeah now I know quite a lot of people have written books but it suddenly began to appear like a live possibility like something I could do
0: yeah oh, <laughs> and so is.
1: I uh, yeah it was a it was a big leap of faith but I'm mm. glad I did
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, on that, do you have any kind of first steps, um, bits of advice for aspiring writers who might be sitting there with their manuscript or have an idea for a novel who are listening? What would Um,
1: I think that the, and again, it's not the most original piece of advice, but if you're thinking of writing, you've just got to write. Mm. There's no such thing as the perfect time and there's no such thing as the perfect uh, stage of life and there's no such thing as like you being able to clear all the decks to mm. do this you've just got to do it um and you only get better at writing by writing without question mm. sometimes I feel like I've forgotten how to do it if I've had a break for a while and then you know you 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 get writing again and you begin to to see it and I think also you know you have to play to your strengths as a person because we're always very interested writers are always very interested in other writers processes Mm. but I don't think that other other people's processes would work for me just like Mm. I don't know that my processes would work for them I mean I know some writers who are meticulously organized in terms of plotting and they know exactly what's going to happen and they know exactly where things are going to go and they know exactly how things are going to unfold and I don't do that I'm I'm my best ideas come to me as I'm doing it it's um I think there's a quote that's a am oh, going to stuff it up, but it's something about how the road reveals itself to you as you walk it. Mm. That's a bit how yeah. I am with writing. Um, and then I know other people who they write their first draft just like a massive word vomit with very yeah. little editing, structure, um, finesse. And I don't do that either because I, I I think I've been an editor and a journalist for so long that. I can't write without editing myself as I go Mm. yeah so I think that in a way there's no what I'm kind of learning is that there's not really a one-size-fits-all so I think be kind to yourself in allowing your your own personality and the things you've learned about how you're best at working inform the way that you write as well Mm. I'm I'm, because I've been a journalist for so many years I work well to deadline right so Mm. if I don't have a deadline for something I will mess around and procrastinate and obsess about things and I need to put external pressure on myself to make myself right and I think I'm at my best often when I do have that other people are exactly the other way around it freaks them out to put themselves under pressure so yeah I think you know be kind to yourself, and you're working out what works for you.
0: So each to their own, really. Exactly. Mm. Um, who are some of your biggest literary inspirations? Like, who are some of the writers that you admire oh most?
1: So I always say that I love, love, love Ann Tyler, which I do. I love Ann yeah. Tyler, who I don't know if you know her very well, but she is a <clears throat> sorry a Midwestern American writer who wrote, uh, or well, some amazing books, *Accidental Tourist*. Uh one of the, her most recent one that I love, what's it called? I'm de- it's called The Redhead by the Side of the Road. But anyway, the thing I love the most mm. about her is that she is, she's always written about very ordinary people in very ordinary, what you might consider small lives. Mm. And I've always found those kind of books most interesting. I've never been somebody who loves sci-fi or I even struggle sometimes with big historical Mm. fiction like I quite like little stories you know Mm. about very relatable things yeah so I love Antila. Tyler however I think the and I've just read oh my goodness have you read Hamnet having just said I don't like historical books Hamnet is a historical book it's written by this British um writer called Maggie O'Farrell it is one of the most perfect books I've ever read and that is a historical book okay like an imagining of um William Shakespeare's wife. Anyway, it sounds weird, but it's great. Okay. But um, I also love at the moment Curtis Sittenfeld, who's an American writer. I don't know if you've read um, uh, Rodham.
0: Yes, I've just finished oh that. Yeah, it was great. That Loved was my it.
1: favorite book of last yeah. year, I think. Yeah. Um, but I've always read a lot of women, and I mean, I, I wouldn't really know where to start in terms of that. But, but I do think that in general, I've always really liked books that are quite. for want of a better word small you Mm. know that just a relationship based and yeah and tackle the things that make us all human and Mm. and the fact that everybody's little life you know without wanting to be patronizing has all its own dramas and and that's what you realize when you listen to store people's stories all day is that everybody Mm. has the most extraordinary stories tucked Mm. away inside them and in their past and in their families and in their bodies and and I will never tire of that. So I like very human stories. I'm not particularly interested in massive concepts. I have to say.
0: Um, okay. Well, lastly, let's say what what's next. I mean, you've um, you've got two book deal with Pam Macmillan. Is that right? So that. I do. Yeah. So would that be a follow-up to this story or a brand new book?
1: It's not going to be a follow-up. It is going to be a new book. Um, And it is, I can't tell you anything about it yet, really, because I've only just begun it and Mm. um, who knows what might happen. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's going to be quite different again, I think. Um, I mean, similar in that it will explore relationships and so on because I'm really interested in that But and women. Um, Yep. But I am really looking forward to getting stuck into it. I've been blown away by the reception to this book. Um, A lot of women telling me that they have, um, it's made them look at their relationship a little differently Mm. and all those things. So I'm a little bit daunted about how to follow it up. But I I, I think it's going to be a bit different again because I really enjoyed challenging myself with this book. It was in a very different, my first two books were sort of a bit more humorous which mm. obviously is always a good thing, um, yeah. and a bit more zeitgeisty. So they're very much about of the moment things. This book, obviously, I give them Marriage a Year, is very much about a relationship. So I think we'll. Um, this book, is, next one, is going to be a bit, a bit different again. I think because I'm really enjoying kind of seeing where I can go without wanting to, you know, go crazy and and write some kind of sci-fi body stripper.
0: Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> maybe maybe that's a whole, that's a whole new genre, surely. <laughs>
1: so watch this space but yeah it will be it won't be this year actually it'll be next year that it's released
0: okay oh gosh well i can't wait can't wait to read it (laughs) and um congratulations again on i give my marriage a year it's brilliant and uh yes thank you so much for joining me today
1: no worries
0: So thank you again to Holly Wainwright. We discussed her latest book, I Give My Marriage a Year, published by Pam McMillan. Remember that this series will continue until the end of May and episodes will be available every Wednesday morning. Please follow the Newcastle Writers' Festival on Facebook and Instagram for regular updates. The 2021 festival will be held from September the 24th to the 26th. We would love your support and you're welcome to make a donation via the festival's website to support the event, which has been hard hit by COVID. Just click on the donate button to find out more. to you